0: People of God, please turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 19. Numbers 19 can be found on page 238 in your pew Bibles. We'll be reading the entire chapter of Numbers chapter 19, but before we do so, please join me in prayer. Lord, as we come to your word this evening, we pray that you would bless it to us. For we know that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we could not see what you have set before us. And so we pray that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds, that we might receive your truth, that Christ would be set before us, and that you would draw us ever nearer to our precious Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Numbers chapter 19. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is a requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer, without defect or blemish, and that has never been under a yoke. Give it to Eleazar the priest. It is to be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence." Then Eleazar, the priest is to take some of its blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tent of meeting. While he watches, the heifer is to be burned, its hide, flesh, blood, and offal. The priest is to take some cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wool and throw them onto the burning heifer. After that, the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water, He may then come into the camp, but he will be ceremonially unclean till evening. The man who burns it must also wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he too will be unclean till evening. A man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and put them in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp. They shall be kept by the Israelite community for use in the water of cleansing. It is for purification from sin. The man who gathers up the ashes of the heifer must also wash his clothes, and he too will be unclean till evening. This will be a lasting ordinance both for the Israelites and for the aliens living among them. Whoever touches the dead body of anyone will be unclean for seven days. He must purify himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the dead body of anyone and fails to purify himself defiles the Lord's tabernacle. That person must be cut off from Israel. Because the water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on him, he is unclean. His uncleanness remains on him. This is the law that applies when a person dies in a tent. Anyone who enters the tent and anyone who is in it will be unclean for seven days. And every open container without a lid fastened on it will be unclean. Anyone out in the open who touches someone who has been killed with a sword or someone who has died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. For the unclean person, put some ashes from the burned purification offering into a jar and pour fresh water over them. Then a man who is ceremonially clean is to take some hyssop, dip it in the water and sprinkle the tent and all the furnishings and the people who were there. He must also sprinkle anyone who has touched a human bone, or a grave, or someone who has been killed, or someone who has died a natural death. The man who is clean is to sprinkle the unclean person on the third and seventh days, and on the seventh day he is to purify him. The person being cleansed must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and that evening he will be clean. But if a person who is unclean does not purify himself, he must be cut off from the community, because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on him, and he is unclean. This is a lasting ordinance for them. The man who sprinkles the water of cleansing must also wash his clothes, and anyone who touches the water of cleansing will be unclean till evening. Anything that an unclean person touches becomes unclean, and anyone who touches it becomes unclean till evening. This is the word of the Lord. Speak to God. People of God, let's, let's think for a moment about an underappreciated job. The roadkill picker-upper. The guy whose job it is to drive around all day, and when he sees a dead animal lying on the side of the road, instead of swerving around it like everyone else, and like I did on the way to church this evening, no, it's, it's this guy's job to stop and take care of it. No matter what it is, no matter what condition it's in, Opossum, raccoon, raccoon, or deer, whatever it is, in whatever condition it is, it's this guy's job to stop and pick it up. It's a pretty yucky job. But as bad as that job is, imagine what it's like when this guy comes home. He's probably got some leftovers on his hands or on his clothes. He's probably got that stench of death on him. And so if he opens up that door and he says, Honey, I'm home, and he comes in for a hug... Do you think she's going to be excited to see him? I doubt it. No, probably not. She's probably going to say, No, stay away. You need to go wash up first. Because the presence of death on him prevents him from going into his wife's presence. And if that's the case with a wife, how much more is that the case with the God of Scripture? If it's it's that much important for someone to be cleansed from the stain of death when entering the presence of a wife, how much more when entering the presence of the God of life? And that's the question that's addressed by our passage this evening. In light of the death in and around Israel, they were going to be unclean before God. And so they needed to be cleansed from that in order to remain in God's presence, And the good news of our passage is that God himself provided this cleansing for them so that they could remain in his presence. They could continue to dwell with him. And ironically enough, this cleansing involved death. And so we see that through death, God graciously makes provision for death's uncleanness. That's our theme this evening, that through death, God graciously makes provision for death's uncleanness. And as we look at our passage, we're going to look at it a little bit out of order. We're going to start in the second half, verses 11 through 22, and there we'll see our first point, provision required. Then we're going to jump back to the first half, to verses 1 through 10, and we'll see our second point, provision accomplished. And then we're going to return to the final half, verses 11 through 22, to see the third point, provision applied. So we've got provision required, provision accomplished, and provision applied. We'll start first with provision required. And as we come to this chapter in the book of Numbers, you might think it's a little bit out of place. Right? I mean, in this chapter, we've got instructions about a sacrifice for ceremonial cleansing, we've got instructions about cleanliness and uncleanliness. These instructions feel like they would feel a little more at home in the book of Leviticus, wouldn't they? I mean, here in the book of Numbers, we've got a lot of history. We've got Israel wandering in the wilderness. Leviticus deals more with this cleansing and sacrificial stuff. So, why is this chapter here? Well, I think context helps us out a little bit. If you flip back a chapter or two in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 16, you see Koradathan and Abiram. Their rebellion, and after their rebellion and they're swallowed up by the earth, the people grumble. And because they grumble, almost 15,000 people die. They've got dead bodies all over the place in Israel. And actually that event of Numbers 16 is just a hint of what's actually going to be happening. Because a, a couple chapters earlier, Numbers 14, you see the people come up to the promised land, they hear the report, they're scared, they don't want to enter, and what does God tell them? 14, verse 29 God says this, in this desert your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. All of the old generation who God led out of Egypt, minus Joshua and Caleb, they were all going to die off one by one by one over the next 40 years. Israel is going to have hundreds of thousands of dead bodies that they are going to have to take care of. As they are wandering through this wilderness, death is going to be their constant companion, just like that shadow in the hot noonday sun. They can't get rid of it. It's always going to be with them. And with all that death around them, contact with that death was going to be inevitable. A family member is going to die, and you're going to be there with them. Or you have to help bury your neighbor. Whatever the case, it was going to happen, and that would make a person unclean. And so verse 11 lays out the overarching principle. Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean for seven days. There's no exceptions. You touch a dead body, that's it. You're unclean. And verses 14 through 16 take this overarching principle and they go a little more in depth. Outlining if death takes place in a tent or if death takes place out in the open, in the country. So basically, inside the camp and outside of the camp. We're, we're covering all of life here, and we're learning two things about death. First, that it spreads. And second, that it lingers. You see the spreading of death's uncleanliness in verses 14 through 15. There we see if someone dies in a tent, everything in the tent is unclean. And every open vessel is unclean, too. It doesn't matter if you're on the other side of the tent— If you don't even touch the dead body that's there, no, you're unclean. Because uncleanliness spreads. Verse 22 shows that too. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean. And whoever touches it will be unclean until evening. And this concept of spreading uncleanliness, it makes sense to us, doesn't it? Because if if you've just bathed your children... And you've scrubbed them clean from head to toe, and they're all sparkly clean, but then they go outside and they see a mud puddle over there. And they are running into that mud puddle, they are jumping, they are rolling around in it. Is their clean body going to make the mud puddle clean? Or is the mud puddle going to make their clean body dirty? Well, the mud puddle is going to make their clean body dirty, isn't it? Because dirty things spread. Dirty uncleanliness spreads. And just like that here, the contamination of death spreads. And it also lingers. In verse 16, if you're in a field, if you touch a dead body, you're unclean. Sure, we get that. But even if you touch a human bone or a grave, you're unclean. It doesn't matter that in those cases, death took place a long, long time ago. Because the uncleanliness of death, it sticks around. It doesn't go away easily. Just ask Lady Macbeth about that, right? Trying to get the stain of death out of her hands. But the question we should ask is, why was death such a problem? I mean, what is the big deal? Were dead bodies covered in some ickies and goombas that God was trying to keep outside of the camp? Were there some germs that God was trying to keep out of there? Well, no, to, to understand what's happening here, We need to think about what death actually is. And death is the result of sin. And so here, death is representative of sin, spiritually speaking. If you've come in contact with death, you've come in contact with the result of sin. And because sin can't dwell in the presence of God, neither can death. And so provision has to be made so that someone who has been contaminated with death can remain in God's presence. And now, touching a dead body in and of itself wasn't necessarily sinful, but it just pointed to something greater than itself. It pointed to the effects of sin. And so touching that dead body would bring the contamination of death. And so with all of these dead bodies in their camp, Israel was going to have an enormous infestation on their hands. Each and every one of them was going to be affected. But lest we think that their problem is unique. Let's think about our own situation. Paul says in Romans 5, verse 12, that sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. See, in the fall, death spread to everyone. No one is unaffected. We are all contaminated with the uncleanliness of death because of original sin. And that sin lingers. It didn't leave the human race after a few generations. It doesn't leave us after a few years. No, it sticks around. And so even though we might not be in much danger of coming in contact with corpses anymore, thanks to our roadkill picker-upper, thanks to funeral homes and things like that, we, we are in danger of coming into contact with the spiritual reality to which those dead bodies pointed. We're in danger of coming into contact with sin. Think about your lives. How easily it is to be contaminated with sin. You're driving down the road, somebody cuts you off, they about gives you a heart attack, but it also gets you angry. Your spouse snaps at you, frustration. Your child disobeys anger. You see a suggestive ad, lust. Lust. You you hear praise for something that you've done, pride. Wherever you are, whatever you might be doing, you're in danger of coming into contact with sin and being contaminated by that sin. And so we see that Israel's problem here, it's really our problem too. It's a universal problem. We're all tainted with death. We all have need for cleansing. And so if Israel was going to remain in God's presence... If we are going to remain in God's presence, then something has to be done. Thankfully, something was done. God provided for his people. Through death, God graciously made provision for death's uncleanliness. And so as we move to the first ten verses of our passage and our second point, we see this provision accomplished. We see how God made a way for his people who are unclean due to death, to come back into his presence. And we see that this entire provision revolves around this sacrifice of a red heifer. And there are several aspects of this sacrifice that we'll look at. First, we see the unblemished red heifer. Verse 2 says this, Tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer without defect or blemish and that has never been under a yoke. So first of all, we've got a pure animal. Like all other sacrifices to God, this was to be a perfect animal specimen. We're not talking about a cold cow, one you're looking to get rid of, one that limps up to the water trough. No, you're looking for a perfect, healthy animal without any defect. The best of the herd for God. And also one that never had a yoke. And this is actually where most translators get the idea that we're talking about a young animal a heifer here instead of a cow because the hebrew word here parah just it just means cow and so if the cow is in view here what we're seeing is an abundance of grace rather than just a small little animal but nevertheless we've got a pure animal ready for sacrifice but what's going on with that red color i mean no other sacrifice has such rules Why red? The text is ambiguous. We don't really know. It could point to the uniqueness of the sacrifice because there's not many fully red cows walking around Israel. Some commentators, Jewish commentators, get especially persnickety here, saying that there can't be any more than two non-red hairs on this animal, and that would surely point to the uniqueness of this sacrifice. But most tend to agree that it just reinforces the idea of blood, because we see a lot of red in this passage, don't we? In the heifer, in the blood, in the cedar wood, in the scarlet wool. Red over and over and over again, highlighting the blood of this sacrifice. But at this point, you just have the animal. What's supposed to happen to it? Well, the second point is that it's taken outside of the camp. And You see that in verse 3. Again, this aspect makes this, makes this sacrifice different from all the rest. All of the other animals that are sacrificed are supposed to be sacrificed inside the camp at the altar. Why is this one different? Well, think about its purpose. This sacrifice is taking on the contamination of death, and so if death's presence can't be in God's presence, why would this sacrifice take place there? No, it's it's outside. It's away from God because that is where death belongs. And thirdly, once it's out there, once it's outside, it's slaughtered. Its blood is shed. And then verse 4 says that its blood is to be sprinkled toward the front of the tent of meeting seven times. On the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, blood is sprinkled inside the tabernacle to provide cleansing. But here, remember, we're outside the camp, we're outside the tabernacle, and so it's just sprinkled in the direction to provide cleansing. The fourth aspect, the entire heifer is to be burned. Verse 5 says that its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal are all to be burned. Normal sacrifices cut out some of those parts. But here, the entirety of the red heifer is to be burned. Nothing is left out. And in fact, a few things are added, aren't they? Verse 6, we see cedarwood, hyssop, scarlet wool, to be thrown into into that fire. And we already noted the cedarwood and the scarlet wool have that red color. And you know that hyssop is known for its use in cleansing rituals. Think Psalm 51 of David. Lord, cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. So we have these three items. Why are they thrown into the fire? What's going on there? Let's think about it this way. When you're baking, every ingredient that you throw into the mixing bowl serves the final purpose of whatever you're making. Say you're making blueberry pancakes. You you throw in some flour to provide the base for the pancakes. You crack a few eggs and you put the eggs in there to hold the pancakes together. And you throw in some blueberries because you love explosions of delicious goodness. Every ingredient serves the final purpose of the blueberry pancake. Well, here too, every ingredient thrown into the fire serves the final purpose of cleansing. You've got the pure sacrifice, the blood that will cleanse, the cedarwood, the hyssop, the scarlet wool. All of it burned together, making these ashes that will be used for cleansing. Through the death of this red heifer and everything else that's done to it, God makes provision for death's uncleanliness, and he gives his people ashes. And as we see in verse 9, these ashes are gathered up. And they're taken outside the camp. <clears throat> Pardon me. And they are kept in a pure place. And that's where they stay until they need to be applied. At this point, God's gracious provision has been accomplished. He's given his people what they need. They have the ashes as kind of an instant purification. You could think of it as like an instant pudding mix or an instant jello mix. All you have to do is add water, and it's ready to go. We'll see that later on. But at this point, God has provided these ashes. The one sacrifice has been accomplished, and it is available for future use. But notice one more thing that had to happen for these ashes to be provided. We walked through the various aspects of what had to happen to the heifer itself to make these ashes. But did you notice something about the people? that were involved in this process? They all became unclean. The priest who sprinkled the blood, the clean person who burned the heifer, the clean person who gathered the ashes, and later on the clean person who will actually apply this mixture on an unclean person. Each and every one of them became unclean as their hands were involved in this process. And that's why you see in verses 7, 8, 10, and 21 that all of these people needed to wash because they were unclean. How ironic that what was provided for those who were unclean to be clean made those who were clean to become unclean. And therefore, for this entire process to occur, you needed people to willingly become unclean, to willingly give up their fellowship with God for a time so that those who were out of fellowship with God could be restored back in. If that didn't happen, God's provision wouldn't actually be accomplished. It'd be a good theory, but it wouldn't actually happen. No, clean people needed to be willing to become unclean for this provision to happen. So to recap, here's what was required for God's gracious provision. You had a pure sacrifice, killed outside the camp, its blood sprinkled, the entire sacrifice offered and available for future use, and a clean person willing to become unclean. This is what God gave Israel so that they might be cleansed from death's uncleanliness and brought back into his presence. And at the same time, we see that this entire sacrifice, each and every part of it pointed ahead to a better sacrifice so that not just Israel, but that all of mankind might be cleansed from death's uncleanliness and brought back into his presence. It pointed ahead to Jesus because Jesus too was the pure sacrifice. He was sinless, without blemish or spot. 1 Peter 1:19. 1, Jesus too was led outside the city and killed in an unclean place on the cross. Hebrews 13:12. His blood too was poured out for the cleansing of death for mankind. Hebrews 9:13 through 14. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice offered and he was also the clean one who was willing to become unclean to make this provision. Philippians 2 speaks to his willingness as he left his privileged place in God's immediate presence to become defiled for us, as Second Corinthians 5.21 says. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, on the cross, Jesus took our uncleanliness from death and sin upon himself so that all of God's people would no longer have it and they could be restored to God's loving presence. Jesus accomplished that provision at the cross and that's what the sacrifice of the red heifer was pointing to. And So never let it be said that the God of the Old Testament is just some angry God That needs to be appeased. Because even here, in these rules and instructions concerning the red heifer, we can see God's loving care for his people. His grace shines through on these pages. Because God didn't need to provide cleansing for his people. No, he he could have left them among the corpses with no hope of cleansing until each and every one of them were cast outside the camp. Likewise, too, he didn't need to provide cleansing for us. He could have left us in the uncleanliness of our sins until we were finally cast out of his presence forever. God was under no obligation to provide a way that they could be cleansed or that we could be cleansed. And yet he did. It's amazing grace. We know that song. We love that song. But how often do we treat God's grace as something we deserve? Well, yeah, God, God should cleanse me. I, I deserve it. But he didn't have to. No, God, God wasn't required to cleanse any one of us. And so because he does, because he provides that cleansing for us, that should drive us to thank God each and every day of our lives. Because if someone gives you something you don't deserve, what do you do? You thank them for it. Someone pays for your meal at a restaurant, you thank them. Someone leaves cookies in the break room. You don't deserve it, but you thank them for it. How much more when God has given us what we needed most? Cleansing from death. Provision accomplished. And yet, even though it was accomplished, this provision was not yet done. Because just sitting there outside the camp, these ashes weren't going to clean a thing. Any more than a bar of soap would clean something just sitting there on the sink of our roadkill picker-upper. No, he needs, he needs to use it. He needs to pick it up and wash with it. He needs to apply it in order to get clean. And likewise, these ashes provided by the sacrifice of the red heifer, they needed to be applied in order for cleansing to occur. And so as we, as we return to the last half of our chapter, we see our third point, the provision applied. We see how these ashes are supposed to be used. And verses 17 through 19 outline the process. So, okay, you've got these ashes here, and what do you do next? You just add water, right? The instant mix, you just add water, bam, you're ready to go. And actually you add fresh water, technically living water. That that points us again to Christ as well. And when these ashes are combined with this living water, they are sprinkled on the unclean person. Another clean person willing to become unclean sprinkles that mixture onto those who have been contaminated with death's uncleanliness so that they might become clean. The water is applied on the third day and on the seventh day, and then he's clean. Provision is applied. But as we read through those verses, did you notice that this process wasn't automatic. There were actually two options. Either, on the one hand, to accept God's provision in faith and to be cleansed. Or, on the other hand, to reject God's gracious provision in unbelief and to be cast out of his presence, to be cut off from the people of God and the presence of God. Two options, not both good options. And so we see twice that God warned what would happen if an unclean person did not make use of this gracious provision. In verses 13 and 20, we read that if a man who is unclean doesn't cleanse himself, he remains unclean. And because he is unclean, he can't remain in the presence of God so he's cast outside the camp. So we know that, but we should ask the question, why would a person do that? Why would a person reject this provision? Now, they can't can't claim ignorance, right? This law is given to Moses and to Aaron. It's to be a lasting ordinance for everyone in Israel, both citizens and sojourners alike. Everyone knows about it. They can't claim ignorance. And they also can't claim cost because this red heifer has already been provided. They don't even need to pay for the ashes. All they have to do is walk up to the priest, say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm unclean due to the contamination of death. I need the water for purification. Sprinkled on the third day, sprinkled on the seventh day, clean, that's it. They don't need to pay for anything. So they can't claim cost either. So why would a person refuse this provision? Well, it could be that they don't want to bother other people. Right? That they don't want to put their problems onto other people, that they just want to just leave it to themselves. Right? Like, I was out in a field and I touched a grave, but nobody really saw me out there, so I don't really want to make that person become unclean and that person become unclean and that person become unclean, so I'm just going to keep it to myself. I like to keep my problems to myself. I think a lot of us like to keep our problems to ourselves. But God has given these, this means of grace to his people. He's given these people willing to become unclean for the unclean people. Just the same, he's given us pastors and elders and deacons and fellow Christians who sit in these pews with us so that we can go to them with our problems, so that we can share our burdens. We don't like to do that, and that could be one reason why they wouldn't go to this trouble. Another reason that could be that they thought they could cleanse themselves. I don't want to follow the rules. I can find my own way. Just leave me alone and mind your own business. That's another common temptation. And in fact, God would later condemn Israel for that very mindset. Jeremiah 2.13, My people have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out their own broken cisterns. These people tried to do it on their own apart from God. It's unbelief rejecting the gracious provision of God. How dangerous, how foolish, to try to find your own way for cleansing, apart from this way that God has already provided. Now third reason someone might reject this provision is that they don't really think it's necessary. They don't really see why it's such a big deal. They can get along fine with just still touching dead bodies, but still communing with the God of life. That's what they think. But the problem is these things don't go together. You can't have both at the same time. Because if you try to have both, you're going to lose the best, and you're going to wind up with the worst. If you are trying to have both, you're going to lose your wife, and you're going to wind up smelling like roadkill. If you're trying to have both, you're going to lose God. And you're going to end up with death forever. How foolish. And so we see here the danger of rejecting God's gracious provision. Just as an Israelite would be cut off from the people of God, and more importantly, the God of the people, if he refused to be cleansed, so too will all those who refuse the better sacrifice, who reject God's gracious provision of his Son will they be cut off from God forever and be stuck with death forever? That's the one option. But the other option, how glorious is that other option? To accept in faith that gracious provision of God, to to have it applied and be cleansed from the stain of death, to have the uncleanliness of death washed away by by the application of the death of a substitute. It's beautiful. And so let's imagine for a moment what that beautiful picture would look like when an unclean Israelite responds in faith and he undergoes this cleansing. What is this showing him? Well, first of all, it's showing him that he's unclean. Right? Why would a clean person wash? It's showing him that he's unclean. It's humbling himself, it's submitting to the grace of God. And second, This washing with the water of purification shows that it's actually cleansing him. Because this ritual is sacramental in nature. It's a physical sign of what's happening spiritually. The uncleanliness from death, from sin, it's being taken away. And he can be assured of this because of the very fact that this physical act was happening. Just as surely as this water was being sprinkled on him, so surely was he being cleansed. The same thing happened with communion for us this morning. Question and answer 75 of the Heidelberg Catechism says that just as surely as we receive the bread and the cup and we taste it with our mouths, so surely do we receive the body and blood of Christ. As surely as we experience the physical, so surely is the spiritual happening. And that's ultimately what's being pointed to with this law about the red heifer that this provision that God has provided for death's uncleanliness in his son has been given, and that whoever partakes of it by faith will be cleansed from this stain of death and be restored into fellowship with God. And as we do that, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, again and again, as we keep coming into contact with sin and we go again and again to the blood of Jesus for cleansing, as we do that, we look forward To the day when our cleansing will be complete. When it will be fully applied. And we will be in the presence of God forever. When death has been fully banished. And we said earlier that death has no place in God's presence. And that's bad news for us in our fallen state. As we consider the sin that clings to us. That means we are on the side of death and uncleanliness. And God is over there. And we're separated from him. But when that cleansing has been applied to us, then we switch sides, right? We're no longer on the side of death and uncleanliness, no, we're on the side of God. And death and uncleanliness are banished from his presence and therefore from our presence too. And that's what we see in Revelation 21 when it tells us that in the new heavens and the new earth, death will be no more. For through the death of Christ, God has graciously made provision for death's uncleanliness, so that his people might forever dwell in his loving presence. And so let us make continual use of his gracious provision, accepting it by faith. Don't try to ignore the problem. Don't try to tackle it on your own. This isn't some do-it-yourself project. Rather, embrace the solution that God has provided. Embrace the cleansing of that free, once-for-all, already-accomplished sacrifice of Christ and enter into his presence with joy, both now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you did not leave us in the uncleanliness of death, but that you graciously made provision for us so that we could be restored to your presence. What amazing grace you have shown us, Lord. Help us never to take that grace for granted, but let us continually run to Jesus for cleansing. For he alone is our only hope. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please stand, if you're able, for our song of response, number 388. Rock of Ages, cleft for me as we sing of that provision.